today on Laura Lynn and Friends. So I did a Freedom of Information request asking for the number of deaths, say, in month two, month three, month four, after the vaccine, and they have no record of those because the criteria is that the death would have to happen within one month. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the beginning of the last days. I'm very excited to be here today. Uh, we have a lot to cover. We have an amazing interview that we're going to throw to that I did earlier today with Trish Wood. You might remember her from her, her many years at CBC. And uh, she liked telling the truth, so she got herself in a whole lot of trouble. But now she fights for the truth every single day, so we're going to be talking to her. Uh, as you know, I love to open my dad's Bible. He, he underlined from cover to cover. And today I opened it up to Habakkuk chapter 2. I will stand. My dad has under, underlined, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower. And then he has under, underlined verse 2. And it says, And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he may run that reads it. So write the vision down, make it plain so that those who read it can run with it. If you have a vision and God's given you something, maybe you can, should consider that the actual prophetic act of writing that down, writing that book, write, write the, the, you know, the picture that you are seeing down so that those who see it and know that it is from God will also be able to help you in that journey. We can't get to where God wants us by doing it alone. We actually need friends and loved ones to be with us. Um, okay, so a couple things before we are going to invite on uh, this precious gal. So she's basically a FOIA queen, okay? I'm not swearing. Uh, FOIA queen. So she looks up Freedom of Information Acts. And she submits them. Well, she, she doesn't look up the act. She just submits them, freedom of information, you know, requests, right? And she constantly asks the government nonstop. She is like the, their worst nightmare. She is their worst nightmare. So she's created this, this um, website that has all of the answers that she has been able to get back from some of the experts and the authorities that we've been under. Um, so we're going to get to her in just a moment. Um, on the one-year anniversary of the Freedom Convoy, a BC NDP MLA motion calls for lawmakers to condemn the Freedom Convoy movement and affirm the use of vaccine mandates during the COVID-19 response. So, so we want to condemn the Freedom Convoy. So take a look at this picture. Who, who are the scary people that should be condemned? The folks that waved the flags, the people that stood for my body, my choice. I thought that was a thing. Isn't that like what everyone talks about, right? Right? If it's your body, you get to decide what happens, what you can take out of it, what you can put into it. And a whole lot of people decided that they did not want to have a vaccine and they wanted natural immunity. Natural immunity is now actually being celebrated. CDC actually acknowledging natural immunity. So these people back at the beginning of this last year 
after being told that you don't have a job unless you get this shot. Uh, you can't go to your children's track meet unless you get the shot. Um, they decided that they were going to stand up for what they believed was fair, for what they believed their rights were, that of all things on this planet, our bodies, we should have autonomy over that. We should have freedom over what happens to our bodies. And this nut job, this BC NDP MLA, calls for lawmakers to condemn the freedom convoy. Now, I have a whole bunch of reasons why I think those vaccine mandates could be a problem. One of them is indisputable, and that is myocarditis. Um, a lot of people, sudden death. We have deaths all over the world that are up. There's no explanation. And in light of the fact that even Bill Gates has now come out and said, had we known it was going to be more like the flu, perhaps we wouldn't have sort of done what they did. He, he said that. We have that clip. And we, we should always have that clip. We should play it every single day. Because what really happened was the elderly were the most vulnerable. And instead of caring for the, the elderly, we actually harmed little children who were not vulnerable to COVID-19. So, anywho, this BC NDP MLA, eh, big F, big failure on your part for having any sense at all. And um, I'd like to find his email and send him some information that should shock and alarm him and show how wrong he is. Wrong side of history, pal. Wrong side. Shame on you. Uh, website RCMP uh, Commissioner Brenda Lucky has announced her retirement. Yay. Awesome. Awesome. We are thrilled. We are thrilled. Round of applause, everyone. Uh, may you uh, be blessed in your journey. May God deal with you ever so severely if you have in any way been deceptive or harmed the people that you were entrusted with. If you've done everything right, may your path be glorious. But if there's stuff there, I decree God's intervention on your life. All right, on CNN, Nikki Haley is running for president and is calling for mental competency tests for older politicians. So take a look as, I don't think it's a bad idea. I know, I know Trump had to submit to one and he passed with, he's brilliant. You know, his IQ is huge, right? It's, he's got a huge IQ. <laughs> Um, they will not submit uh, Biden to this because there's a problem. But in any case, so watch as Don Lemon hits back at Nikki Haley. Take a look. This whole talk about age makes me uncomfortable. I think that I think it's the wrong road to go down. She says people, you know, politicians or something are not in their prime. Nikki Haley isn't in her prime. Sorry. When a woman is considered to be in her prime in her 20s and 30s and maybe 40s. What are you that's not Wait. I, that's not according to me. Prime for what? Uh, it depends. I mean, it's just like prime. If you look it up, it'll. If you look, if you Google when is a woman in her prime, it'll say twenties, thirties, and forties. I don't necessarily. Forties. Oh, I got another. I'm not saying decade. I agree with that. So I think she has to be careful about saying that you know politicians aren't in their I think prime. You need, need to qualify. To are you talking about prime for like childbearing, or are you talking about prime for being just president? Say what the facts are. Google it. Everybody at home. When is a woman in her prime? It says 20s, 30s, and 40s. And I'm just saying Nikki Haley should be careful about saying that politicians are not in their prime.
and we, they need to be in their prime when they serve because she wouldn't be in her prime according to Google, you know, Google or whatever it is. Okay, so this is being talked about on the HuffPost.com. Uh, state or Slate.com, JT, when is a woman in her prime? Now, there's a question you shouldn't ask. <laughs> oh, no, you should not. Okay. <clears throat> Put your mic he's, on. He's gay, so what would he know about asking women in her Right, prime? right. Here's a gay guy. Talking about when a woman is in her prime, right? Thanks to Don Lemon, I spent my day Googling when's a, when when is a woman in her prime. Oh, this is pretty funny. I'll do I'll just do a quick share on this, JT. We gotta see this. Let's see what he says. Um, so thanks to Don uh, Lemon, I spent now I just wanna call him Lemon. I really do, because I think he is. Uh, but I spent my day Googling when when is a woman. I have some findings for him. Okay, what are they? Uh, Lemon accidentally created an, wow, or Ouroboros? Ouroboros, when he issued said instruction Thursday on CNN this morning because Google's top results are now littered with news stories about him putting his foot in his mouth uh, for talking about when exactly women expire. Okay, it all started during a discussion of Nikki Haley's announcement. Okay, let's move on. We already know that happened. Lemon has since, Lemon, has since apologized for what he said, calling it inartful and irrelevant, which is not the same as wrong, of course, but the moment was so bar, so bizarre that it's worth lingering on. It's really his career, which is inartful and irrelevant. Right. Really. <laughs> That's so true. I mean, here's a guy the other day, he got so upset that one of the CNN reporters actually gave a fair interview to a Republican that he, he was just losing it. And you could just see the other woman on there. They, I don't think they even like him. They're like, you are a nasty son of a gun. So Lemon's uh, two female co-anchors reacted immediately to his initial comments asking what exactly he meant. But he doubled down with the following bit. I'm just saying what the facts are. Google it, Google it, yeah. So back to those search results, they include a bunch of dubious and unreliable links. Google does not, in fact, have an authoritative answer to when a woman is in her prime. In fact, Google isn't even sure what it means for a woman to be in her prime. Or to her, be a woman. Right. Her sexual peak, her most beautiful, her most fertile. Yeah. I mean, how can they say, uh, you know, when is a woman in her prime? They're like, do you mean the woman or the guy who thinks he's a woman? You know, is it the transitioned woman? Um, there's no official life stage known as a woman's prime and therefore there are no ages it scientifically corresponds to. And quite frankly, every single year, I think I'm in my prime. I mean, I have prayed, thank you, sweetie. He's like giving me a thumbs up. But I have prayed that I, I want to be like the Benjamin Buttons, you know, of women. I just want to get younger and younger and younger looking. Every day, I have prayed for years. God, please help me not to get wrinkles, right? I told my girlfriend that once. I said, well, because she was concerned because she felt, you know, that she was getting some facial wrinkles. And I said, oh, no, but aren't you praying about that, that the Lord would just remove those? She goes, oh, are we allowed to, to pray that? I said, I never thought about it. I never thought, am I allowed to pray, you know, take away my wrinkles? I just prayed it. And uh, I really have asked the Lord uh, to, and I, I mean, you can clearly see I wear a lot of makeup. 
that might have something to do with it. The sun could literally not penetrate this face for the last 30 years because I just had so much goop on it that I was completely protected and probably a fire hazard. I mean, if there was any flame that got near my face, it'd probably explode. In any case, I just think that I, I hope that my prime, I, you know what I can't wait for till I am in my 80s? Because right now, if I really unleash on what I think I'd like to say, I think I could be in a lot of trouble, you know, legally in all kinds of ways. So I'm waiting till I'm like 85 on my deathbed. And I'm just going to be doing the videos, telling the truth, putting it out there, you know, saying what I really think. Because if you think I'm already saying what I really think, I am holding it back. But when you're 85, when you're in your prime, 85, 90, you get to do and say whatever you want because nobody really wants to come after little old lady, you know? So anyways, Don Lemon, I think we've se severely covered that. All right. Uh, Joe Rogan show. Uh, the mainstream media has taken Elon Musk down from hero status to villain status. You know, he's gone from hero to zero overnight. Take a look. There's an amazing amount of resistance against him. And, you know, there's the, just the publicity campaign against him has been fascinating to watch. People go from thinking that Elon Musk is the savior that's bringing us these amazing electric cars and engineering new reusable rockets to he's an alt-right piece of shit who wants Donald Trump back in the office. And it's like, it's very wild. It, it, the, the, the speed with which they can sort of shuffle somebody into the Hitler of the Month Club yes. uh, routine, right? <laughs> like, you know... It, it, We've, we've always done this with foreigners, you know, whether it's Noriega or Saddam Hussein or Milosevic or Assad or whatever it is. Like we have a playbook for cranking out negative information about, uh, you know, foreigners who get in our way for whatever reason. But now we, we've we've kind of uh, refined that technique for domestic people who are inconvenient. You know, I think yeah. they, they did it with Trump, obviously. Um, you know, they try to do it with Tucker Carlson with you, uh, you know, I mean, you, you got a taste of that for a few, a few times. Yeah. It's um, interesting. Right. Uh, and then, you know, with, with, e with Elon, yeah, they, they, he, he went from being the guy who made electric cars sexy to there, like, you know, something to the right of Victor Orban in, in like <laughs> 10 seconds. It's, it's amazing. It is amazing. And the narrative is spread through progressive people. Well, they'll just say it now. It's like they've reached the memo, the memo's got to them, and then they just, I hear people in LA, I hear people that I know, like, oh, Elon's just so crazy. It's like, it was something happened to him, he went nuts, and he's a right-winger now, like, how? What are you saying? Like, what, what examples do you have? Like, they don't have an example. They just have this narrative that reached them the signal. Like, Elon bad now. Oh, right. Elon bad now. Elon bad now. Elon bad now. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what happened to Trump. He was king of the world. He had everything. And uh, as soon as he started speaking up for common sense and the common man, um, you know, speaking against abortion, uh, speaking against transitioning minors, speaking against transgenders being in the army, um, so some things, uh, you know, and also standing up for the United States of America being a great country, as he felt, and not a racist country. And uh, not he, he didn't think that people should be dividing themselves. So that is Matt Taibbi, who has been doing the, the Twitter files and all of these tweets on what's going on. 
uh, super exciting to follow those uh, Twitter executives, former, now fired, uh, facing the fire. That has been a very good part of my life lately. Um, okay, so Senator Kennedy, I love this guy, he grilled the climate alarmists who struggled to give answers to basic questions. This is great. Dr. Holtzikin, do you know how much it will cost to make the United States of America carbon neutral by 2050? Depends how you do it. If we do it all on the federal budget with directed things, it'll be Public super expensive. Public and private expensive. dollars. Sorry? Public and private dollars. It's, all, it's ultimately private dollars anyway. Yeah, I agree. So right. how much? You're going to look at $50 trillion. $50 trillion. Yeah. Okay, thank you. If we make the United States of America carbon neutral by 2050 by spending $50 trillion, which you're advocating, I gather. No. Okay. Then strike that last part. I'm wrong. You're not advocating. You're advocating something. Um, if you're going to do something, do if, something smart. That's what I advocated. Okay. If we spend $50 trillion to make the United States of America carbon neutral by 2050, how much will that lower world temperatures? I can't ask that because we don't know what China and India and the rest of the globe has done. Okay. Have you had heard anybody from the Biden administration say how much it will lower world temperatures? No. Does anybody know how much it will lower world temperatures? No? No one can know for sure. Okay. Dr. Litterman. Yes. If we spend $50 trillion or however much it takes to make the United States carbon neutral by 2050, how much will it lower world temperatures? Senator, that depends on the rest of the world. We have to work with the rest of the world. We're in this together. Well, it's what one if, world. If, we can't build a wall around if, the United what States if, and say... What if... What if we spend $50 trillion, Europe cooperates, most Western democracies cooperate, but India and China don't. How much will our $50 trillion lower world temperature? We're in this together, Senator. We how have to get will, the world to you, work together. How much? I, I get that. Okay. How much will it lower world temperatures? If China and India do not help. Yes. I don't know. <laughs> what do you know? You know, it's all just crazy, you know, nonsense, making all this stuff up, right? They can't answer a question at all. And um, I, I saw Laura Ingram talking about this climate thing and like something about the temperature having gone up like 0. 0.0000 something. And then there's seasons of coolings as well. Um, so, you know, whatever. How absolutely ridiculous. So support, supposedly, if you would have listened to some of the reports they've done in past years, you know, we're supposed to have been in a serious climate problem by now. It's all nonsense, everyone. It's all nonsense. Um, it's another scare tactic. And it's all about, you know, globalization and locking us down and things like that. So the World Government Forum uh, basically is saying that nationalists are making things difficult for the globalists. I hope so. Take a look. We see that misalignment playing out, and all of them are challenging 
globalization. They're all creating some of the crises that we see in our headlines around the world and in this region today. Is that those crises create the seeds of a new order. And that's all of this nationalism, all the protectionism we see around the world. My country's been doing it. Donald Trump said, America first. Now, that, that is not meant to appeal to people outside the US. It's globalization adrift. It's globalization constrained. But it's also globalization continuing. And I think that's really critical. A few takeaways from that. The EU will be politically stronger in a more challenging environment, economically and from a security perspective, you will see the EU with stronger energy policy, fiscal policy, health policy, defense policy, and tech policy than at any point since the EU was created. Because of these crises, because of the geopolitical concerns, because of the pandemic, heck, because of Brexit, we see NATO stronger too. Because of the pandemic, did you see those guys sitting in the front row there? They're like, wow, this could be really good for us. I like what this guy is saying. We'd like to be, you know, a globalist world so that we can kind of hone in on, see what America has done really well. First of all, they're founded on Judeo-Christian values. Some of those people you see there, of course, clearly you know that they're not. They're founded on, um, you know, a, a religion where they believe they have to be superior. Um, they have different, different agendas, different ideologies, and this guy is full of, you know, bunk, basically. And what we need is to protect our way of life, to protect our borders. Canada needs to do this as well. Um, when, when we are founded on these principles, godly principles Canada was founded on, um, this is our Charter of Rights and Freedoms under the supremacy of God under the supremacy of God. And they weren't talking about any other God, but the God that the Bible serves because the people that wrote that, um, Brian Peckford, the Honorable Brian Peckford, having been there when that was put in, these people believed that under the supremacy of the God of the Bible, that we have rights and freedoms. They're, they're wanting to take all of that away. Okay, we're getting to the end of this because I want to get to my guests pretty quick here. But um, hmm, hmm. so global uh, digital ID and the central bank's digital currency. Well, this is becoming an issue in Nigeria. And um, I think I'm the one sharing that, aren't I? Okay, let me get to that. So guess what? Since October 2021, Nigeria... Oh, I kind of have something else. Um, is that it? Yes. Sorry. Hmm. So Nigeria has been having a major problem, and this is pretty serious, actually, everybody. Uh, Nigerians have refused to use the central bank's digital currency, e-Naira, preferring to continue using cash, and we all need to consider what's going on in Nigeria. Is that share working? So the government continues to push for less cash and Nigerians are angry and protesting the lack of available cash. All right. So this guy is reporting on Nick uh, Corbishley. And in December, the central bank decided to replace all high denomination cash bills in the economy. 
just as India did in its disastrous demonetization campaign of 2016. The goal is to make it much more difficult for Nigerians to use cash, and it's working like a dream nightmare. As I've been warning for the last two months, Nigeria's already weakened economy is in no position to absorb the resulting economic shock. The central bank is not printing nearly enough cash to replenish the money supply. The result is a massive cash shortage. So this is a Guardian article. Angry protests erupt across Nigeria against scarcity of cash. As in India, people will die. Businesses are closing. Some will never reopen. Nigerians' lives have been plunged into chaos. But the country's government and central bank say the pain is worth it. From my latest article on the topic, Naked Capitalism. Is that, is that probably the end of that uh, line? Godwin M. MFL, the CBN governor, has hailed the experiment as a success as 80% of the cash previously held in private is now deposited with financial institutions. Finance Minister Zainab Ahmed concurred, saying the only sore point is the pain it has caused to citizens. Oh, sadly. Why should the rest of the world care? This writer asks. Because unless stopped in its tracks, this monetary experiment is coming to all of us, one way or another. According to the Atlantic Council's CBDC tracker, 114 countries representing over 95% of global GDP are exploring a CBDC. So, so that's it. That is, uh, that is what's going on. And... Um, I've been talking about my personal situation of, and again last night, another person involved in banking saying it's very strange uh, what had happened to to us with a very small uh, amount of U.S. cash from a bank account in Canada, major bank. Gives me um, a draft, which is as good as cash. And I deposit it in the night deposit. <clears throat> Fair enough, I didn't go in, but it's a draft. It's like cash, and they proceed to hold my funds, uh, half of it, more than half, for um, over a month. It was supposed to go to February 28th, called and complained, got that released. So <clears throat> in all of that, people are explaining to me, I had a, a great thing um, sent to me you know, by a woman in banking, basically saying that it can be quite disastrous if... Uh, they want to declare some sort of emergency from all of these crazy things that are happening. You're going to find out in just a few minutes when I bring up Trisha's interview after my next interview that um, another train derailed. Um, anybody think something crazy is going on? I think something absolutely nuts going on. So the Daily Wire, uh, Daily Wire article in East Palestine, Ohio governor says Biden's administration's FMEA is refusing to offer assistance after the train derailment. What is going on? Should this not be declared a state of emergency? Trish Wood is going to explain what she thinks is going on, and you are going to appreciate uh, her perspective on this. East Palestine residents, Palestine residents are afraid, getting sick, and are fed up with the lack 
of help the government is giving them. They feel abandoned, demanding answers at a town hall meeting. In this town hall meeting, I mean, you can barely hear it very well because they've, you know, they don't, they don't have a good microphone. Uh, they are so concerned. Everybody's, I mean, shouldn't they be very far away from the scene of all of this? And we, we talk about it later, so I won't say anything more on that. Uh, Sam Smith hosted on a BBC show is talking about being a uh, fisher them rather than a fisher men. Um, here's an image, uh, fisher thems. Oh, we're going to run the clip. Okay, take a look. No. Yeah, yes, I do. What? Yeah, yeah, I'd love to be a fisher, fisher them. What, like a fly fisherman? I'd, I'd be... A, I'd be any type of fish of them. I think I would like to, one day, I'd just like to end my days fishing. Like we can solve that. Do yeah. you fly fishing? Or I do it on the sea and I do it in lakes. I've never done it alone. So cool. Someone's always taught me. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> so, Fisher Them's friends, uh, that uh, could be what we're looking at. We wouldn't want to misgender a cough candy. So, um, he ends up, Sam Smith, is heckled in New York City. You belong in hell! Sam Smith belongs in hell! You demonic, <laughs> twisted, sick bastards! <laughs> Leave the kids alone, you sick First record. <laughs> Sam Smith is a pedophile! Rumor! He's the off the kids! Ruben the kids! You sick <laughs> Sam Smith! We just want to say right now that some of the some of the beliefs that are that we might air on a video are that of the first person speaking it and not our own. Yeah, we're just reporting. We're the reporters. That's it. We don't know about any other thing. Uh, it's going out of it's getting out of whack. We're also well, okay. Uh, JT, let me do this then. Let me just share um, this because there are some things to do with the entire uh, trans transitioning issue. Uh, Jamie Reed went public with some information. So why Jamie Reed went public with her allegations about a St. Louis tran transgender clinic. So this came out uh, three days ago, all right? St. Louis County, Jamie Reed, the former case manager whose allegations about a St. Louis transgender clinic have spurred state and federal investigations, said she decided to go to the Missouri Attorney General after finding herself up against enormous institutions in town. I'm just one little person. She said establishing whistleblower status was necessary to keep her job at Washington University. She said she merely followed the advice of her attorneys on taking proper steps by contacting the Missouri Attorney General. Politics aside, I'm trying to follow our state laws and statutes regarding whistleblowers. So she, she basically has had to get some protection in order. Um, Reed went beyond establishing whistleblower status. The Free Press online publication published her in-depth first-person narrative without rebuttal. Under the headline, I thought I was saving trans kids. Now I am blowing the whistle. So pretty incredible. I want to be able to make sure my voice was part of the story and not only <clears throat> what the AG's office was going to put out. Uh, Reed worked at the Washington University Transgender Center at St. Louis Children's Hospital as a case manager between 2018 and 2022, including, including doing intake, 
She alleged in the article that vulnerable patients were permanently harmed in various ways due in part to a lack of formal protocols for treatment. She alleged that instead of providing mental health treatment to children who needed it, the center easily gave them puberty blockers, which paused the physical change of growing up or cross-sex hormones. She alleged cases moved forward despite disagreements between parents about their child's need for gender-affirming care. In her sworn affidavit released Thursday by the Attorney General's office, she alleged the center regularly referred minors for gender transition surgery contrary to public assurances by its doctors. Reed, who describes herself as a progressive queer woman married to a trans man, alleged there wasn't a place for constructive feedback at the center. And you see, I, I think that's kind of a very pivotal point. This is not a woman who's a transphobe. Apparently, she's married to a trans person, okay? But anyone who raised doubts ran the risk of being called a transphobe. The story drew immediate response Thursday from U.S. Senator Josh Hawley, uh, who said his office was launching an investigation. Washington University, in a statement Thursday, said it was alarmed by the allegations and was looking into the matter. So that's fantastic. I hope that there's going to be a lot of looking into. And we all know there has been. The Tavistock Clinic uh, was shut down. They had to change course because many, many of the doctors at the Tavistock Clinic had actually already left, saying that the outcomes were not what they had hoped for and that there were problems there. That is all on record. So um, I think that is it. I would like now to get to our first guest, and that is Shelly Hipson. And uh, you would just basically call Shelly Hipson a concerned citizen. Uh, she loves to do research. She loves to get her fingers out and figure out how to find out stuff. And one of the best way, ways that she found was through freedom of information. And so she started putting out these requests nonstop till she became... Seriously, the FOIA queen. So we'd like to wel welcome you to the show, Shelly. Thanks for waiting in the background. And I hope you're doing okay. Everything all right there? Yes, my yes, everything's doing great. I'm happy to be here and happy to share the data that I've accumulated. So thanks, Laura Lim, for the that opportunity. That is wonderful. So so tell me a little bit of background. Did I get that right? You You sort of found out that you could request information and lots of little juicy bits would come forward. Yes, that's right. I think it should have been all public information. Um, we shouldn't have had to pay money to acquire the data, but um, the media wasn't doing it. The politicians were lying to us. So uh, this is a tool that you can use. You pay $5 and you can request a record. Okay. So um, as we get into this, maybe I think what we will do then is release YouTube. And head over to Rumble. Just not not quite yet, though. Just let them know you've got the link in the... Uh, he's going to put the link in the chat. Because some of the information... Um, I mean, it's it's just sensitive topics. And sometimes we just want to respect you two because we love them so much. And um, head over to Rumble, everybody, as fast as you can. Because this is going to be a ride. So, all right. Take it away then, Shelley. So... You began putting in some of these requests. So you can, so are you saying any Canadian can do this? $5 and mm -hmm. and you submit a re request for, inf for information? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. You request a, a record. So what I wanted to do is actually um, provide people with context. And I was concerned that some of the information may disappear. 
And so I wanted to acquire as much data as I possibly could. I, I just felt it in my heart, really, that that was really important. So um, what I'd like to start with is the Health Protection Act. And this is the act that our chief medical officer is um, to uh, bide by. So for communicable diseases, we can see here where a medical officer is of the opinion upon reasonable and probable grounds that a communicable disease exists or may exist, or that there is an immediate risk of an outbreak of a communicable disease, the, the communicable the disease um, presents a risk to the public and health and the requirements specified in the order are necessary in order to decrease or eliminate the risk. So I, I want to point that out. He had to make orders that would decrease or eliminate the risk to the public presented by the communicable disease. So one of the first things that he actually did, um, it was on March 16th, between March 16th and May 21st, 2020, is that he canceled over 3,000 surgeries at our hospitals throughout the province. So there was 3,213 surgeries that, that were canceled. This would have included like your, your MRIs, um, uh, all, all, all things that would have detected diseases and actually prevented people from um, becoming ill. It was a preventative measure. So the 3,000 surgeries were canceled. He also canceled 32,540 diagnostic imaging appointments in that time frame. And if we look at slide four, interpreting that data, 424 patients died while waiting for surgery and 33 people. So here it is one of his orders. So if you can just see between the two red dots, 33 um, of all the deaths on the waiting list involved procedures where delays in treatment might reasonably be implicated casually. Among, among these angioplasties, pacemaker insertions, cancer resections, and abdominal aneurysm surgeries. So here it is, an order from our chief medical officer, and it caused 33 deaths. Wow. What and I, what who I is thought, the he, Shelley? If I could just confirm, the he that you're talking about right now, mm -hmm. you're speaking of whom? The, the chief medical officer, Dr. Robert Strang. Okay. So he ordered all the surgeries, all the diagnostic imaging um, appointments to be canceled in that initial time frame, which resulted in, in people dying. So and that's in Nova Scotia. Yes. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Got it. Amazing. Okay. And, keep going. So, so then on in slide five, what I feel is really, really important as I looked through this data, um, in, in a release package that I received, is it the definition of a deceased case? So if we just look down a little bit, it says deceased case. And a deceased case is a probable, so it does not have to be confirmed. It's a probable or confirmed COVID-19 case whose death resulted from a clinically compatible illness. Let's just think about that for a second. A clinically compatible illness to a coronavirus could, could be the flu, it could be a common cold. So here it could be probable, didn't have to be confirmed, and it can be from a clinically compatible illness, unless there is another clear alternative cause of death identified. 
So if somebody poisoned me, I wouldn't have been a COVID-19 case. If I received trauma or a drug overdose, I wasn't a COVID-19 case. But everything else was considered a, a COVID-19 death, and it could have been a clinically compatible illness. The medical officer of health, which was Dr. Robert Strang, um, he, he basically had the discretion too in determining a death. So it was all in their hands. They had a lot of power in determining who was put on that list. And a death due to COVID, so the last line, a death due to COVID-19 may be attributed when COVID-19 is the cause of death or is a contributing factor. So in the beginning, we heard they were all dying of COVID, but it could have been, and most of them were, um, COVID was a contributing, contributing factor to their death. So it really, it, it's rendered the numbers so meaningless that they tried to use to advance any of the mandates or any of the, you know, the measures that they took because it, it just wasn't, um, it, this was not a good way and an accurate way to determine COVID deaths. No, and that, that um, definition came from the World Health Organization and then down to the um, Public Health Agency of Canada then it trickles down to Nova Scotia, and they are required to use that that definition. Um, and then, so when we look, when we when we think about that, that it can be probable and from a clinically compatible disease, and we start the testing, then what are we really testing for if, if it's if it's a compatible illness? So if we go to slide six. <laughs> I just want to walk you through some of the numbers and some of the information that I got. So in Nova Scotia, they started testing. Uh, Dr. Lisa Barrett uh, really pushed even testing asymptomatic people. And so then we have the death information for 2020 and 2021. So the population of Nova Scotia is around a million people. We can see over there, you can see the, the numbers for 2020, 2021. And then the totals um, over to the to the right hand side. So the population of Nova Scotia is just over one million people. In Nova Scotia, one million five hundred and eighty-six thousand three hundred and eighty-six PCR tests were completed. So approximately a half a million people um, beyond our population got tested for for COVID. Out of that. Um, we have 1,564,643 were actually negative. So even though people were walking around with masks on and had got tested, most of the people that got tested were, were negative. In those two years, the number of positives were 20,446. So a positive doesn't necessarily mean that you're contagious and you're ill. Um, we've learned that the PCR test, it, it does all depend on the cycle threshold, for example, the, the accuracy of the test. So there are 20,000 that were positive. The number that died, that actually died from COVID, were 114 in two years. That is shocking. So, and 53 of those were in long-term care. So we have to start to ask, okay, did these people really die of COVID or their comorbidities. So the percentage that died out of the 20,000, it's only 0.55%. It's less than 1%. 
99% or 99.45% of those that tested positive actually lived, right? So, so, you know, when people say that this is a deadly virus that escaped from a lab, for example, um, I, 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 like a bioweapon, I would think they would want to release something that would be a bioweapon that would actually kill more people. When we, when we look at the number that died was only 0.55, and those that lived is 99.45, um, that's, that's a pretty good odds that you're going you're gonna to make it. Um, the total number of deaths in Nova Scotia in those two years, so you can see 9,964 died in 2020, um, 10,072 died in 2021, totaling 20,036. So when we look at 114 people out of 20,000 people in Nova Scotia wow. that died in those two years, the number that was co that is COVID is 0.57%. Again, less than 1% of the people that died, um, died of COVID. That means that 19,922 actually lived, you know, and 99.43% of them um, did not die of, of COVID those years. So, you know, we had a lot of fear, a lot of lockups, a lot of people not being able to see family, um, not seeing loved ones. And, and there you go. Like the, it was 99.43% of deaths and less than 1% that got it actually died, died from it. Shocking. Wow. I mean, doesn't yeah. that put it in perspective? And did you only check out Nova Scotia? I know that we've had some people on that checked out Alberta and got these kinds of numbers as well and very mm -hmm. similar results, right? But have you only checked out basically your province? Yes. Yeah. Yes, I have. So, yeah. yeah. So can you teach people how to do these uh, FOIA requests so that we can, I mean, probably a lot of this data is out there. We would find very similar uh, results. I think right across Canada, you would actually find the same results. If you took the, on my website, which I've had to put them all on a website because I was being censored like everybody else. Mm -hmm. um, it's uh, www.shellyhipson.ca. And I've listed all the wording um, that if others wanted to do an investigation in their province, I'm sure it's similar. I, I certainly do not believe that this novel COVID virus um, killed the, the people that they told us it, it killed. By the data that I have in just this one province, and if you applied across the country, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that we had no pandemic in our, in our country. No, so. we certainly didn't. And in fact, now across, you know, I, I hope you'll keep this work up in proving mm -hmm. the outfall and the deaths not related to COVID and mm -hmm. how many are, <clears throat> are passing away. I mean, we have death counts that are up everywhere and yes. young people and sudden adult death syndrome and all kinds of things going on. Yeah. If we're able to switch to um, slide eight, what I want to take you through, too, just to put more context to it, is, you know, there was 114 people that died in Nova Scotia in two years. So what we really want to know is their comorbidities, what illnesses or conditions that they have at the time of death. And you can see here in, in Table 1 at the top, 
um, 78 or 86.7% were over the age of 65. So here we are va vaccinating or injecting, it's not even a vaccine. I mean, we're injecting kids that are like babies that are six months. And that tells you right there that 86.7% are over the age of 65. The table three at the bottom, we can see what people had. So cancer, 6.7% of them had cancer, 60% had cardiac disorders, 11%, 11.1% had chronic renal disease, diabetes 21.1, um, immunocompromised conditions 5.6, neurological conditions 54.4, and pulmonary disorders 18.9. So we can see 53 of the, in the first year, 53 of the 65 were in long-term care. They had these comorbidities. Um, sadly enough, when you're put in long-term care, you know, you're not coming out. It's, it's, it's a last stop. So, and they were very, very sick. What I found interesting in slide nine is, and I've got it underlined, is that this is um, Northwood Presser Notes. So in Northwood was um, the long-term care facility that approximately 53 out of the 65 in the first year, they died there at, at Northwood. And I've got that underlined in red. Uh, Janet is one of the um, staff members there. Even at the end of life, if COVID positive, we've been told to include in the count. So, you know, that's the whole thing. I think that that's what, what's happened across the country and around the world. Um, you may have died of, if we look back at the comorbidities, cardiac disorder or pulmonary disorders or chronic renal disease, but because you tested positive, you were included in, in the count. And if we look at slide 10, um, it, it gives us a perspective of the total population of Nova Scotia, how many tests were done in that first year. And I mean, really, the 65 deaths are that little tiny sliver at the top that's almost not noticeable. Um, and most of those people, I feel, died of comorbidities. They did not die of a novel coronavirus. So, wow. And then the next slide, 11 just to offer again perspective is, and I think you'll find this across Canada, that's why I'm sharing it, is that close to 10,000 people, 9,964 people died um, in 2020. Neoplasms was two, close to 3,000. Diseases of the circulatory system, 24, so that's your heart, you know, heart attacks and things, 2,491. Mental and behavioral disorders, um, 898, and diseases of the respiratory system, uh, 827, and COVID 65. Like once we start to look at those numbers in context, COVID was very, very few people. Wow. So in 2020, the total deaths was 9964. And then um, in 2021, can we go back to that other graph? Uh, Shelley, what was it in 2021, the total deaths? The total deaths were, that's in... Back, no, back. From the... Six, number six, slide six. Yeah. 2021, the total deaths in 2021 were 10,072. So more deaths, um, slightly. 
So there was 49 COVID deaths in 2021. But yes, there was a slight increase in deaths, 10,072. So less less of COVID deaths, Mm -hmm. people who died with or from COVID less, yet Mm -hmm. more deaths. That's right. Yes. And when we look at the testing that happened um, between those two years, Two hundred thirty-eight thousand were tested in twenty twenty, and we went up to one million and three hundred and some in in twenty twenty one. The more you test, the more you're going to find. Right. But that doesn't mean more people died. So that's that's really odd because typically, if there's more people with cancer, then you see that there's an increase with the deaths of cancer. But that didn't happen with COVID. Um, basically because I feel that the test was fake. So it didn't test test for anything. Right. Yeah. So what do you think? Um, so what do you think you're going to pursue now? You have this hobby of getting these freedom of information uh, bits and pieces. Uh, are you watching what has happened with the vaccine rollout then in your province? Yes, I have. And I've got some information on that. Um, I just want to make a couple of points that the respiratory um, diseases of the respiratory system did not increase in in from not 2019 to 2020. It actually went down. So overall respiratory, even though we were in the middle of a pandemic, those numbers didn't go up. The other thing that I just wanted to mention is that I asked for any record proof document report on that an asymptomatic positive COVID-19 case is contagious and spread to others in Nova Scotia. And they don't have any record of anybody spreading, an asymptomatic person spreading it to someone someone else. So here we were to wear masks, you know, being asymptomatic, and they had no record of it being spread to, to anyone else. Um, I can, I, I'd like to look at the hospitalizations, but I'm not sure what time, how are you doing for time, Laura Lynn? Let's go ahead, okay. Um, in number four, in slide 14, um, it's the COVID-19 ICU hospitalizations to June, July 31st, 2021. So let's look at the hospitals. They closed us down, you know, to save the hospitals. And in the, the top numbers, the ICUs in 2020 and the ICUs in July, 2021, we've up to July, 2021, we've totaled those up at each hospital. So the hospitals are at the top. Aberdeen Hospital had 857 ICUs and zero up to July 31st, 2021 were COVID. There was no ICUs in that hospital. In Cape Britain Healthcare Complex, there were 1,494 ICUs. There were only 10 that were COVID. That's 0.67%. Colchester Regional Hospital, Again, nine COVID out of 1,103, that's 0.82%. Cumberland had zero. Dartmouth General, it's a larger hospital. It totaled the the ICUs for COVID were 0.66%. The QE2, um, they had uh, 4,608 ICUs and out of those 74 were COVID. That's 1.6. So Shore Hospital had zero. St. Martha's had zero. 2.3 for Valley Regional. Yarmouth had zero. So there's 110 ICUs 
for COVID out of 11,627 total ICUs. So less than 1% were COVID ICUs. And and some of those could have been a false reading. Some of those, absolutely, you know, because we had tons and tons and tons of false readings on those PCR tests. Everybody knows that. You couldn't rely on yes. them at all. Yes. So I, I didn't include this slide, so I'm going to read it out because we're getting to the vaccination stuff. Okay. Um, in our Health Protection Act, and I'm curious if this is the case um, across Canada, in 53-2A, um, where the minister has declared a public health emergency, the chief medical officer may implement special measures to mitigate or remedy the emergency, including establishing a voluntary immunization program. It's it's not, he didn't establish no voluntary immunization program, but in the act, he was to establish a voluntary immunization program for the province or any part of the province, which did not take place. He made comments such as, uh, oh, this one's kind of, okay. Is this, yeah, I wanna go through this one. This was the most disturbing Okay. pop that I think I've received in the couple of years that I've I've done this. So I wanted to cover this a little bit in detail. So I asked for the correspondence that were received by Dr. Robert Strang on the topic of COVID-19 vaccine adverse events and deaths that have occurred from since the rollout. And what I received were actually his um, a, a series of his emails. So if we go to Uh, slide 16. Okay. So this is from Dr. Robert Strang, and it's to um, Maureen Carew. And Dr. Robert says, Strang says, thanks for the heads up. And what it says, if we scroll, scan down there, hi, Robert and Gaynor. In case you received any queries, I am looking into an adverse event following immunization, so an AEFI, following the death of a resident vaccinated in a long-term care facility. Female received Moderna COVID-19 vaccine and died. There is a temporal association, but I don't think a casual one. I will be obtaining more information on cause of death, et cetera, but wanted you to be aware. And so this happened January the 28th. This was about a month after the rollout. And, you know, this is somebody's grandmother, somebody's mother that gets the Moderna shot and she dies after having the, after having the shot. Um, on slide 17, it's also um, mentioned, um, on April the 15th, 2021, and after the non-responsive, so that's the block, the, the square there, some unusual adverse events following immunization have come in today. Stroke. So we can start to see what's happening around us, you know, stroke, heart attacks, blood clots. So way back in April 15th, 2021, this medical officer of health started to notice stroke, thrombotic events, thrombocytopenia um, alone, no thrombosis. Those types of things were happening in our community and nobody told us that these things, that people were being injured by the vaccine. 
It was always that they were they were safe and effective. Um, a number of them also had uh, adverse reactions, including um, allergic reactions, and they were actually instructed to have the next shot. Like it didn't, it doesn't make any sense. If a medical doctor prescribes you something and you have tingly lips and swollen throat and, and you start to have those reactions, who in their right mind would actually tell them to, to get the additional shot? Another person had neurological symptoms after getting the Moderna shot. So these are all in emails. June 1st, another person gets a vaccine-induced um, immune thrombotic Do you have that thrombocytopenia. One? Is so, that one on a screenshot? Um, that one I don't think that one is. No. <clears throat> okay. And then there's a suggestion to inform the premier. So our premier also knew um, about these things happening, and they continue to roll it out. Wow. And then what really kind of concerned me too, in amongst this particular FOIPOP, on January 21st, 2021, the Public Health Agency, it's slide 19. Um, so this, this is when they were telling us that it was safe and effective. And they knew as early as January 21st, 2021, can vaccinated people spread the virus to others? So that's the question. Can the vaccine vaccinated people spread the virus to others? There is limited evidence on whether someone who ha who received the vaccine is still able to spread the virus. So they, they make the recommendation that they should continue to, um, you know, stay at home, et cetera, et cetera. There is limited evidence on whether someone who received the vaccine is still able to spread the virus. They didn't know way back in January 2021 whether it, it stopped transmission. That's crazy. <laughs> they should have been telling us, instead of saying protect granny, right, get your shot, they should have been saying or telling the general population that, that they didn't know whether that the shot was going to stop, able to stop transmission or, or stop the spread. Wow. <clears throat> right In, there. So that is January 21, 2021. An easy way to remember all that. Mm -hmm. um, right there, I mean, shouldn't somebody, and, and they want people to be notifying the premier. So can we get, uh, or have you tried to get um, the FOIAs on what the premier knows? Or did know, I did, or didn't know? Yeah, I did do several FOIA pops to FOIAs to the premier's office. He wasn't forthcoming with a lot of the information. Wow. I even did a FOI asking him, yeah, asking him if he had re received the Pfizer safety dump. Do you remember that? Yep. That happened out of the States and it yep. was a number of eight pages showing mm -hmm. all kinds of adverse events at the back of it. He did not, he did not receive that. He, his office has no record of that. I did the chief medical officer, Dr. Robert Strang, his office had no record of receiving or having that in his possession. So here, that that's that's negligence. I mean, that's, that's that, right. there's no words to really describe the fact that And we could send it to him, him, right? We could I did. Her. Oh, you did, of I course. did. <laughs> I did, I did registered mail. Yeah, good. <laughs> yes. Now do you yeah. have a record? Right. Yes, now you ha now he has a record. He cannot say that he does not have that information. 
Um, just a little bit more about the, the vaccine and some of the injuries, if you have a yes, little bit more time, do. you're yeah, okay. Please do. So on slide 20, Statistics Canada states, the third week of January 2022 was the deadliest week in Canada since the pandemic began, with 27% more deaths than what would have been expected. So underlined, it says, nationally, there are 8,286 more deaths than expected from the beginning of January 2022 to the end of February 2022, or 16.8% more deaths than expected over that period. Put differently, over one in five deaths during this week would not have been expected. So I want you to flip to slide 21 and what my data uncovers for that time frame. So they, they started with the booster in um, October. So that you can see in the light blue, October, okay. 2021, there were 3,150 boosters given. November, 26,141. December, we start really cranking out the boosters, 108,259 in December, 21. January, 302,242 boosters were given in, in that month of January. So we combine those two months of December and January. We're looking at over 400,000 shots. And if you look at the bottom of the chart, um, what happens in January, the deaths start to go crazy. So what, what I'm feeling is that these deaths and Statistics Canada has identified that th this time frame, um, there were 27, 27% more deaths. And this was right after, nobody's investigating this that I know of, and I've tried to bring it to StatsCan's attention. This was, these deaths occurred right after a substantial increase in the number of boosters that were given to our population. Wow. Can, uh, JT, can you go back to that last shot? I want to make sure I'm actually getting screenshots of this right now because uh, these are tweets that are going to go out that we can begin to put some pressure. Uh, yeah. Okay, fantastic. Wow. Uh, th this is very shocking. Um, shoot, I think I missed it. Um, so yeah, stunning. Keep going. So yeah, it, so in slide 22, just to confirm that that came in a foie pop, those numbers of over 300,000 booster shots, um, just to, wow. so you can see 302,242 is the number of boosters that were given in that, in that month. Right. In so slide 23. It's way over, it's way over any of the other months, right. basically. Yeah. And this is really troubling too. So this would be the adverse, the serious adverse events following the COVID-19 vaccines. These are the ones that they've admitted to. We know that there's hundreds and thousands more, but these are the ones in a freedom of information, specifically from the Department of Health and Wellness, our, our government. So you can see there that people have um, had serious adverse e events from the, the vaccine. 87 of them have not yet recovered. 17 have recovered, so they claim. Seven people had permanent disability or their incapacity. There's been 11 deaths. So nobody's talking about those 11 people that have died 
that the government actually fesses up to that have died because of the vaccine. And when we think of the data that 99.5% recovery, they, they made people get this injection and 11 people have died. And there's a number of people that have not yet recovered, some that are um, in capacity or have a permanent disability. And I, tw slide 24. <laughs> um, I just want to recognize Dr. Hoff, who tried to put the alarm on of microclots. Um, and Bonnie Henry, I believe it was, basically let him go from some of his duties. Nova Scotia, where the arrow is pointing in, the number at the top, number of the 10 most frequently reported adverse events following immunization for COVID-19 between December 16th, 2020 and September 30th, 2022. Okay, so we have some swelling at the injection site, allergic reactions, etc. As we look at the bottom, we have neurological events. We have myocarditis, pericarditis, and a boy, by the way, I believe in, in a small community near us in grade seven has just died suddenly um, as of yesterday, uh, grade seven. Okay, we, say, we look say at, that again. So as of yesterday? Yesterday I heard, see, the thing is when you live in a rural fishing community or a rural community, you tend to know a lot of people. Right. So yes, I heard that a, a young boy um, grade seven years, grade seven, uh, uh, died suddenly. So approximately 12 then I think. Yes. Okay. And so when, where the arrow is on this blood clotting disorders, that is so disturbing to me. And Dr. Hoff tried to bring that to our attention, but that's your strokes, your heart attacks, blood clots going into, you know, your, they're in your arms or they're in your legs, but they're moving throughout your body and causing death. And I think about my community and it's, it's so sad to hear, okay, this one's died of, of a heart attack. This one's died of blood stroke, like 29 year olds dying of a, a clot. And your mind is just going like full speed, knowing that blood clotting disorders are one of the top 10. Now in this chart, it only looks like it's about 30 people because the next number is 50. But if people don't know that the vaccine can cause blood clotting disorders. How are we supposed to be putting this together? So somebody could be having a heart attack and thinking, okay, yeah, it was just the heart attack part, but it can't, it could be that it's being caused by blood clots from the vaccine and nobody at the provincial level, no chief medical officer, no premier, nobody from our department of health and wellness, has brought this to the attention of our population. And this is really, really concerning, um, really concerning to me. Extremely so. Um, Dr. Mackis, right, has been, um, he has been outing uh, recently. Um, I had something here. So there's 10 deaths in 20 to 21 year olds in Canada and another has just dropped dead a few days ago. Um, he has highlighted the kids uh, that, that have been younger than that in other substacks. Um, I do encourage everyone to follow Maccus MD um, substack. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. No one's talking about this. Mom's Nobody's talking about from this. the mainstream media. 
Isn't no. anyone in Nova Scotia? Have you been able to try to get uh, a reporter, someone who has a soul, to get something out into mainstream? Um, there was one reporter with the Chronicle Herald, which is our provincial paper that covered one of my freedom of information requests on adverse events from the vaccine, um, Andrew Rankin. And he's the only one. I've sent all of this information to CBC, of course, like they're never going to cover it. Um, the other day, I actually parked my car in my little village, my community, and put a sign at the back. The, the Nova Scotia government has added blood clotting disorders to the top 10 adverse events. And I put the vehicle in front of my MLA's office just trying to create awareness because your your hands are tied. If you can't get it in mainstream media, really, it's so difficult to get the word out. Mm. And then we're, we're, we're really, really struggling. Um, yeah, so there's not many the heroes of, yet. You know, Shelly, it, it's been pretty exciting to watch the, um, the situation going on with all of the Twitter executives that have now lost their positions and they are being grilled by mm -hmm. the senators and oh, one yes. guy said he said this is just the beginning prison is probably next and that was like i felt a chill see mm -hmm. so what what the twitter people they colluded with the fbi the cia and the democrats and this is what still facebook is doing um, in not allowing people to, and and YouTube not allowing good information like this, like what you're telling us, can be absolutely proven. You've got the documentation. It's from government sites or given to you by the government. And yet, if we are going on and we dare talk about something that might cause vaccine hesitancy, then we're going to lose our accounts. We're going to be shut down. So they are silencing us. So all those good people who. Basically, you know, they don't even care. They, they have a nine to five job that they're trying to, uh, you know, li live through. They're not even happy about that. But they go to work. They listen to mainstream. They turn on the radio, listen to their favorite radio. Maybe they have Sirius um, and, you know, and, and they, Siri, no, no, it's Sirius FM, right? <clears throat> XM. <coughs> so they, um, they're just not getting this information that you're stating and what Dr. Mackis, Dr. Paul Alexander Dr. Peter McCullough, I mean, it's just mm -hmm. endless, the people trying to get good information to people so that they know don't get your stinking booster and that the cumulative effect of getting these shots is getting worse and worse and worse. And I'm getting emails of people saying, yeah, my uncle just died, so-and-so. Mm -hmm. Like, it, it's literally uh, routine and, and yet nothing and a big silence. And when that guy said prison, I thought, May God help us to see the day when people are held to account. Because it seems so far away. It seems like it's impossible. But right. as we've seen with Elon Musk, I love this man. He is, uh, you know, he's a, a bit strange. And I kind of look at him a bit sideways. But then I go, wow, you took your billions of dollars. You lost your position as the wealthiest man in the world in order to literally save humanity and to, to reveal that the collusion behind the scenes, it's epic. And it's a felony, mm. isn't it, JT? Like, to like to affect um, an election. Wow, federal crime. This is wrong. Yes. You can't do this and, and hide information. You got anything yeah. else good? 
I got a few more things if we have okay. a little time. All right. Okay. <laughs> All right. Slide 25. Okay. <laughs> I don't want to stop. All right. I'll so. stop talking. Okay. No, no, it's great. Yeah, no. So slide 25, um, just at the lower part, I just want to make a point here that um, the only adverse events following immunization, they have timelines in place. So localized events occurring within seven days. So once it's day eight, then they're not recording anything. Um, the next one, uh, systemic um, events uh, occurring within 48 hours, neurological events within 56 days. So 57 day, then you're screwed. It, it, it won't be, you know, part of the adverse events following immunization and other events within one month that other events within one month. So I did a freedom of information request asking for the number of deaths, say in month two, month three, month four, after the vaccine. And they have no record of those because the criteria is that the death would have to happen within one month. So we know that a lot of these adverse events, they may say, oh, you know, there's only 700 in, in Nova Scotia. There could be thousands if that was extended beyond, beyond one month. So that just opens it wide open because lots of people have, have had their shots within a few months and there's a sudden adult death. They die in their sleep, die in their sleep, die in their sleep. Dr. William mm -hmm. Mackis just pointed out these these young people that just died in their sleep. I know. Yeah. Okay. And and they've had it's, it a few months back. So so this yes, is ridiculous. So th this isn't. Yeah, we're missing those. Either. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Twenty seven to just when Strang, when the proof of vaccine uh, came, slide twenty seven, just back one. Yep. Um, so I applied for this one September 14th. I got my response October the 14th. And in a CBC article, our chief medical officer said, Strang said, proof of vaccination will help keep communities safe, ensure children and youth can safely attend school and protect healthcare systems and its providers. Protect healthcare systems and its providers. And so I asked, for all records that support that this statement is basically true and they do not have the information that I asked for. So there's these people just said things randomly and had no information to back them up. And did it in fact keep our hospitals safe? So if you go to slide 28, did, did the COVID-19 vaccine keep people out of hospital in Nova Scotia? In 2020, the, the general hospitalizations were 239. In 2021, 721. Laura Lynn, what's happened in 2022? Oh, wow. For real, for real, this is like the real data. For real, wow. for real. This, and the, the, that number, 6,187 hospitalizations for COVID, that's only up, I believe, until October. It's not even a full year. So it, it's, here they, it, I know what it is and you know what it is. It's, it's not COVID, it's, yeah. it's the reaction to the vaccine. I mean, most of the people that are in hospital, and I've got another slide just 
down here a little bit further, um, it shows that 90, I think it's 97% of the people in hospital now have received at least one dose. So, so there's 6,187 in hospital in 2022 and slide 29, the deaths have gone from 65 deaths in 2020, 49 deaths in 2021 to 559 deaths after 85% of our population is vaccinated in 2022. In if, slide 30. If people don't get something's wrong, if some normie is looking at this and thinking, what are y'all talking about? The, lumber, the numbers don't lie and this no. is staggering. And the thing is, this is, this is um, in line with what we're seeing from all the other data, even worldwide. Yes. So, right. Yes. Yeah. Shocking. So everybody's been talking about access deaths. So access deaths in Nova Scotia for 2020, 2021, and part of 2022. In a pandemic year, 2020, we actually had 105 less access deaths. Then in 2021, 115. And as of August 20th, 2022, in Nova Scotia, there have been, there've been 445 access deaths. Something's really happening here. It's, it's, it's quite scary that we're having that number. So typically you would, the stats can would estimate how many deaths they anticipate for a particular month or time. And then the real numbers come in, but there's um, a substantial difference there in 2022. Again, that needs to be investigated. Slide. 31, I just want to point out as well, up to February 9th, these are just recent numbers, February 9th, 2023. If we look at the, um, let's see, vaccination status of deaths. So 23% have had two doses, 61% have had three doses. So those are the deaths. 61% have had three doses. Those that have died, have 61% have had three doses. 23% have had two doses. The vaccination status of hospitalizations, you can see that 4% um, have had no doses. So that's our little yellow group there, the, the, the Vibe tribe that are vaccine free. 4% uh, of the hospitalizations are no doses. 4% are one dose, 21% two doses, 36% of the hospitalizations have three doses and 36% have four doses. So you, we can see what's troubling our hospitals are the more doses you get, the, the higher chances of you actually being um, hospitalized. So I just wanted to, to go through, through that one. And... In um, slide 32, this is from a government website. It's the Epidemiologic Summary, uh, January 10th, uh, 2023. And at the bottom, you can see um, vaccinated Nova Scotians were hospitalized and died at almost three times the rate as those with three or more doses. I'm going to read that again. Unvaccinated Nova Scotians were hospitalized and died at almost three times the rate as those with three or more doses. Do you know what they did, Laura Lynn? They actually only compared 
the unvaccinated with those with three or more doses. They did not, and I've got the, I've done a FOI pop on this, freedom of information request. It takes us all through the steps in how they determined this statement. And they were not comparing the unvaccinated with the vaccinated, but just the unvaccinated with those with three doses. If we had added those with three doses and two doses and did the same calculation and compared the unvaccinated with those with two doses and three doses, I'm pretty sure there would be absolutely no difference, but they chose to do it that way. Um, And so I wanted to confirm whether they had actually done, have compared the unvaccinated to the vaccinated. And in slide 33, it states, um, so I applied for this November, October the 11th, and I got my letter back November the 10th. And I asked for, I would like to receive all records on COVID-19 relative risk, that's what it's called, calculation held by the department that compares the outcomes in the following two different groups of people the unvaccinated with no doses and those who have had two or three and more doses of the COVID-19 vaccines, those that have been vaccinated. And we can see up at the top, just under my name, we do not have the information you asked for. So here they are not allowing people to go back to their jobs because they're not vaccinated and they don't even have, they haven't even done a comparison between the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. And just 34, <laughs> Yes, it comes back to how many people in Nova Scotia participated in the COVID-19 immunization program are now immune against COVID-19? No one. There's no one that, are, that, mm. that, that's that been vaccinated. It You know, it's just, this is crazy. And then this they require really it for jobs. Yeah. This is absolutely just the last phenomenal. Yeah, the last thing that I wanted to touch on, and I think, you know, when we talk, I heard you speak about in your, you know, the, your other clips about the digital ID. And um, I, I believe what's happened, and this is just my take on it, is that the, Depart- the Department of Health and Wellness in slide 35, we can see gave two million, over $2 million to a company called Can Immunize. And can immunize is responsible for your proof of vaccine. So on slide 36, people in Nova Scotia would have put in their health card number and an email address and started the process to get a a proof of vaccine or an appointment for a, a vaccination. On slide 37, we learn a little bit about can immunize. And over on the right side, we see Dr. Wilson, and I'm just going to read underneath that part. He's an internal medicine physician, scientist, and expert in digital health. Dr. Wilson is an internationally widely published expert in public health and immunization and founder of Can Immunize, currently funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and the World Health Organization. Dr. Wilson's vision is to use technology to solve public health problems. 
My concern here as people signed up and, and provided their health card number would be in slide 38, security. It talks about security. Any information, so this is on their public, uh, like their, their policy, can immunizes policy under security. Any information sent or received over the internet is generally not secure, may be interrupted, lost or altered. We cannot guarantee the security of any communication to or from can immunize can immunize does not assume any responsibility or risk for your use of the internet. So everybody made their appointments over the internet using their health card numbers. And I question, it's just a question, it's a theory, it's a hypothesis. I wonder if can immunize with the Bill and Ga Melinda Gates Foundation and the World Health Organization, if they've actually been able to obtain people's personal health information and data. That's, it's just a question mark. Just because if you question. look at the, it's, if you look at this and it's not a pandemic and 99% of the people lived, how were they going to acquire everybody's health information? They, by putting in your health card number, you're actually giving consent to your health information. I think that's, I think that's basically what's may have may have happened. Now, is there a way that you can find out uh, that information? I did a freedom of information request on Can Immunize's um, contract with the Nova Scotia government, and I would say eighty percent of it is redacted. So I'm not sure, sure what's happening behind the scenes, but... We just love you. We love <laughs> you, Shelly. Um, do you know I was almost named Shelly by my mom? Uh, that was the oh. second runner-up, and instead of Shelly, I became Laurelyn. So uh, what, a, what a great presentation. I'm so Thank grateful you. for what you're doing. So let's, um, uh, let's make sure that if you're getting more and more stuff, uh, come on out. We can do an update, you know? and uh, right. see what you're finding out. I actually know several people in Nova Scotia. I'm sending this immediately to. So mm -hmm. thank you. I also, saw you in Yarmouth. You did? I saw you in Yarmouth. Yeah. Right. right. Yes. Oh, I yeah. loved Nova Scotia. What yes. a beautiful place and beautiful people as well. We were so thank warmly you. received. Um, I do want to talk to you. I'm going to give you a call after the show. I'll let you go now. Um, mm -hmm. and I'd like to get information, everything you know about this latest, uh, child, um, mm. in grade seven, anything, yes. you know, so that we can, um, get that to Dr. Mackis. So, okay. All right. We've got to be on you. the war path because there's no accountability in our government and it's so unfortunate. Thank you no. so much, Shelly. Thank you for, thank you for the this. time. You're yes. Amazing. And your patience to getting me set up and everything. <laughs> <Yeah>. So thank <laughs> you. It right. worked out great. It worked out good. Thanks. Thank you so much. Okay. okay. Take Talk care. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you. Well, that's mind blowing. That is mind blowing. Everything we just saw. I bet you. So we need people doing these FOIAs in every province. If you're that kind of person and you can just sit there and, go through that. That's very helpful. You know, um, uh, let's get someone in every single province. And I know, I mean, we've had on, um, Ken Drysdale. He had a lot of information on Alberta. 
And these are the kinds of things that he was examining. Oh, thank God for the doctors and the, the people that are pursuing it. Um, so we made a, we've called an audible. Yep, JT called an audible. We're going to air Trish tomorrow. Trish Woods, we're going to save her interview. We're going to go tomorrow because it's so long and y'all probably want to get back. So uh, Laura Lynn Tyler Thompson, my website is lauralynn.tv. I welcome you to go and check that out. If I'm ever not on any of the platforms you're used to seeing me, please go and see me there. If you'd like to buy gold and silver, we recommend Steve Merrill at Sovereign Eyes at uh, protonmail.com. Um, thank you for your support of this show. Uh, first and foremost, for your prayers. As you might well imagine, we get under some attack here, and we know you're praying because you're letting us know that. Would you consider putting us on your your prayer every day that you just say protect uh, the Laura Lynn uh, team that is bringing information out. That would mean the world. I thank you if you're already doing that because we feel those prayers. Like we are so strengthened. We're so strong here. I'm not worn out. One of the things Trish said is, oh, you must be exhausted. You're on every day. Um, I'm not. I'm not exhausted. I'm not. I am. I'm blessed. What, you think I'm exhausted? <laughs> he turns around in his seat. <laughs> okay, maybe I'm a little exhausted here and there. All right, maybe, but I feel good, right? Don't we feel good today? Today we feel good. All right, so I'm going to, yeah, and you feel good, Shane? All right, okay, he feels good. I'm going to leave you with um, a scripture today. Thank you for your kindness, your love, for your e-transfers to help us just a little bit of getting through the war that we're in. Um, all right. Um, 1 Corinthians 4. This then is how you ought to regard us, says Paul, as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. I am going to underline this so that my kids know what I thought was an important scripture. God is going to be the judge of all of us. Every single one of us will one day have an appointed moment where God gets to say his peace. Right now he's kind of quiet, isn't he? I'm like, speak to me, Lord. And I hear an echo of my voice in the room. I'd like to be able to hear God audibly, but the only way that I can know that I have the Lord's blessing is that I have the peace that passes understanding. The word of God says, the righteous are bold as a lion. People have called me Lioness Laura Lynn, and I am a little bit bold, and it gets me in trouble. But 
The righteous are bold as a lion, but the wicked flee when no one pursues. I do not have anything to be fearful in this lifetime because God is my strength. I have, I have submitted my will to Him. I have chosen to walk in righteousness. Do I always feel like being righteous? No, I do not. Do I always feel like doing the right thing? No, I do not. But I sure do try. I sure do. Because if I'm going to go up against the demonic, Luciferian nastiness that we're up against right now, then I'm going to have to have the armor of God on. I'm going to have to know that I'm able to speak. I, I think uh, this incredible woman today who's, who's put out so much information, you know, she's she's got a, a bee in her bonnet and she has a sense of justice and she wants to show the facts. And God is that kind of God that He is with those who are doing what's right. He's protecting those who do what's right. But for the Dr. Teresa Tams, for the Dr. Bonnie Henry, the Dr. Dina Henshaws of the world, I'm not certain what you're thinking. You must have no fear of God because when you have a healthy fear that there is justice, you don't do this, not for a moment. I've loved being here with you. Thank you for being here with me. See you tomorrow. You know, it's not easy to deliver the truth of what our sick world is doing, but for some of us, we feel that we have no choice because if we are silent about these abominable things, then we are letting evil go unchecked and we cannot do that. For those of you wonderful people who are writing me and are sharing your encouragement, I am deeply grateful. Thank you for all the letters that you've been sending. Thank you for the donations and the support. I found out that in order to speak the truth, you have to become very, very strong. If you would go to my website at www.lauralyn.tv, you'll find all of the ways that you can contact me. Remember, my friends, all is well. All is well. Thanks for joining me.